Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe place to get real about sex. Whether you're a man, woman, single, or couple, this is the show for you. We are your hosts, Kevin Anthony and Celine Remy, and we are here to guide you to go from good to amazing in the bedroom and beyond. All right, welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast. This is episode 241, and it's titled, What is Consent and How to Do It Right?, This has been a huge topic in the last couple of years. It should have always been a huge topic, but more recently because of, you know, things like the Me Too movement or Harvey Weinstein, which was kind of all wrapped up in that, or, you know, the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, like all these things that have been happening in the world that have been showing up as, wow, people are abusing power, they're abusing boundaries, um, they're not getting permission, all that kind of stuff. Because of all that, it's been a really huge, huge topic. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, that was another one that really brought consent up uh, to the general public in the world. So it's an important topic. We are we have so much to share on this topic today. We are going to do our best to get as much information in as we can. That might mean we move a little faster at different times throughout this show or not. We'll see. Um, as you, if you're watching the video, you've already seen that I have a guest host on today who I'll be introducing in just a moment. But before I do that, Quick uh, note from one of our sponsors. Do you want to join the secret club of men who are great in bed? Then check out Power and Mastery. It is the most complete sexual mastery training for men, whether you want to have harder erections, last longer, or increase your sexual skills. There is something for you at powerandmastery.com. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that is the men's sexual mastery course that Selena and I created. We have had amazing, amazing success with this course, not just in selling it, but, but the success that people have have who go through it. Um, I, I mentioned this in the last two shows and I'll mention it one more time just because it's, it's so amazing to me. But I had a student in one of the courses uh, email us as we often do. We get great feedback on the courses. But what he specifically told me was that um, he ended a 10-year dependence on Viagra after going through our course. And that is a major, major life-changing situation. So I I can't talk highly enough about it. I highly recommend you go check out powerandmastery.com. Okay, so now that that's over with, I want to welcome and introduce to you all Ezra. You may remember him. He was on the show once before. Well, welcome to the show, Ezra, and please tell the audience about yourself. Hey, thanks for having me. And um, my name is Ezra. I run the Ask Ezra Intimacy Coaching Podcast. I'm the director of education at Sanctuary Studios, and um, I'm also author of the book Mind Fucking Mindfully. And um, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. Well, as I uh, mentioned at the beginning here, we have a lot to cover because as you pointed out, when we were discussing this topic and we were working together to create this outline, it's a bit more complicated and nuanced than most people realize. And so we don't want to make it too complicated. Like we don't, we don't want to make it so complicated that people go, oh, fuck this. I can't do it. Right. You know? Yeah. So we want to try to simplify it. But at the same time, we want to make people aware of those nuances and why they're important. Mm. So let's just jump in and start with like the most simple, basic definition 
of consent. And I literally just, I went to Merriam-Webster dictionary and just pulled the standard definition because it's just a place to start the discussion. So the definition, to give assent or approval, to agree, to be in concord in opinion or sentiment. Okay. All right. I think we all pretty much understand what that means. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what consent means to everybody else. So that kind of brings us to, you know, consent is often described as something that is simple, but can be very complex. And there are a lot of paradigms around it. And so this is where kind of I want uh, you to sort of step in and talk about how that is different to different people. And, and then we'll get into some of those different paradigms. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in case anybody's confused by the Merriam-Webster definition, like that is consent in all spaces. And when we're talking about sex and intimacy and relationships, we're talking about activities, right? We're talking about consent to do specific things with each other, to each other, you know, at the same time, separately in the same room, whatever, right? Um, and I think that it is really easy to paint it in a black and white way, uh, and that really there is subtlety and that as, as many people who are bad actors, unfortunately, most of, most of it comes from miscommunication and misunderstanding and the vast majority of it, I would say. And that's because there are these different paradigms of consent and one person's operating in one paradigm and the other person's operating in a different paradigm and they just don't understand that they have different expectations, right? So, uh, and most of our understanding, most of our paradigms of consent come from either law or research or the medical field, right? So that's where these things have had to develop. So, um, we can talk about implied consent versus explicit consent. Um, or express is another way of saying that. And the difference there is uh, explicit consent is you must say, yes, I want to do that thing, right? Or no, I don't want to do that thing, or I want to do everything but this thing, whatever. You're having that conversation. Implied consent is based on location or presentation. And you might say, oh, well, that's just whole hog wrong, right? But then, you know, you hear about parties where there's a dark room, Right a room with all the lights off. And if you're in that room, you're participating, right? And there's nothing ethically wrong about that necessarily. It may be more vulnerable to mistakes or misunderstandings, but, um, you know, as long as everyone involved is operating under the same paradigm, you know, then it's, it's game, right? It's a good, it's okay. Right. Um, but if somebody walks into that space expecting to have a conversation before somebody touches them, they're going to have a bad time, right? Yeah. So I want to first go back to that point you made about people not really being on the same page, right? Like having different understandings of what consent means. Because I think that's a really important point. We do this and not just in the consent world, but we do this in so many other ways. We have our own understanding of what a word or an idea means, and we assume that everybody else has the same understanding. And then, of course, everybody else is doing the same thing. They all have their idea and assuming that everybody understands it, too. You know, interestingly enough, you know, I learned this lesson really well simply because, you know, Celine 
was, you know, English as a, as a third language, really, not even her second language. And so when you, when you have a close intimate relationship with somebody who's not a native speaker of your native language or vice versa, you realize that uh, definitions and meanings of words and phrases suddenly become a whole lot more important because when you grow up speaking a language, there's all these implied meanings of things, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That the other person doesn't learn because they didn't grow up speaking that language. And so for us, it became really clear to define what we mean by specific words, you know? And you know, there was one that we used to joke about all the time because uh, I would often say things like, well, yeah, I'll be there in a, you know, in a few, like I would use the word a few minutes or loosely, <laughs> yeah, very, very loosely. Right. And, <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, like she would have this thing, but there's only two, you know, she's like, why didn't you say two, you know, as a, like the number two, as opposed to a few, because a few will apply. But that's just one of those subtleties of English language that we just kind of throw around. Yeah. A few, this few, that few, whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with her, you know, uh, and as far as I'm concerned, you're wrong. A uh, couple is two, <laughs> three is a few, and four is several. Yeah, well, so. technically that is correct, right? <laughs> but see, and, and that's, and that's what happens is, yeah. you know, she's, when she's learning English, you know, more in a, in a, you know, scholastic an way, yeah. an academic yeah. way, as opposed to just the sort of colloquial slang type stuff that we pick up when we're, when we're natives, you can yeah. see that they're different. And that's just one example to, to illustrate to the audience how these things can happen, right? How you can have one definition of consent and what that means to you and what the rules of that consent are. Whereas somebody else, because of their background and how they learned it, might have a completely different idea of what that means. And so that, mm -hmm. that piece you mentioned about communication is huge. So when you're going to embark on this journey of consent, especially around doing things to and with and, you know, whatever other people, you got to be on that same page. And that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's, it's really easy to paint a, uh, implied consent as like these people are evil or trying to do bad. But then I want you to picture being in an intimate setting and having somebody say, can I touch you here? Can I touch you there? Can I kiss you here? Can I kiss you there? It's going to get exhausting. And so it's really typically a mixture, right? It's not, I mean, we can talk about these paradigms as theoretical, but they don't exist in a vacuum and they don't exist as pure entities. It's typically a mixture. And so, um, like another example might be like, okay, well, uh, you have to ask me to touch my butt, but once you've asked me, touch it anytime you want. Right. Or once you've asked me, you can do that as long as we're in a private setting. Right. Um, don't touch my butt in public, whatever. Right. And so, that's just an example of, of how you might use that. Yeah. And we will definitely dive more into more examples and, and all of that. And, and I'd like to come back now to the paradigms that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the first thing I want to talk about, I mean, cause you mentioned the paradigms already, although we'll, we'll touch on them again, but an interesting point that um, I wanted to get into, which is you, you started to mention sort of where these paradigms came from. And the thing is, they, they weren't born specifically for 
relationships and sexual encounters, right? Yeah. And so we're using a framework that was designed for other instances and we're trying to apply it here, which may or may not work without some fine tuning. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. A great example of that is passive versus active consent. And that comes from research. So uh, with passive consent, everything is a yes until it's a no. And with active consent, everything is a no until it's a yes. Right. And again, it'd be really easy to paint anybody who's interested in passive consent as, you know, an evildoer, but it's just a different paradigm. Right. And um, it can be kind of tricky in research, too, in terms of the ethics of the situation. It's like, oh, well, you didn't say no to it. So, uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, I think passive consent was really the dominant paradigm culturally until the 70s. And so really, you know, it's petting turns into heavy petting turns into sex. And if there's not a no along the way, it's been a yes the whole time. I think that's still how a lot of people operate. Like your average person who maybe wasn't involved in, uh, you know, a poly community or BDSM community or conscious sexuality community or sex Mm -hmm, party community mm -hmm. where those things are taught and really important. What I see out in the dating world is that's kind of the mode that most people are operating in. It's like, Mm -hmm. I'll try a little here. If I don't get a no, I keep going. And if I don't get a no, I keep going. And if I don't get a no, I keep going. Right. Yeah. Try it and see what happens, right, is the mantra of the passive consent. And I think that works for a lot of people, but especially for people who are, you know, recovering from trauma or are particularly sensitive, that's just a no-fly zone altogether. And I think that's probably why in BDSM we're so specifically focused on active consent, because number one, the things we're doing may be dangerous, and number two, a lot of us are dealing with you know, past experiences, which were negative and made us more sensitive. Yeah. You know, and and this whole idea of active and passive consent is, I think, really important in, in a lot of ways, not even just in relationship ways, but, you know, you're right in a sense that that has been sort of the, well, that meaning the um, passive form of it has been kind of the dominant way. And you see that all throughout society. I mean, government does this all the time, right? Government just does stuff until you complain about it and say no, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's a dangerous, dangerous turn to take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we don't need any better examples than the last couple of years on on how uh-huh. that on how that played out. But but the reason I bring that up is because I think those are good examples of how dangerous that can be, right? How dangerous it can be to go down the road potentially of passive right? And just doing things until somebody objects, right? Because that can, mm. that can create a lot of problems. But the other thing is, and you mentioned this a little bit too, not, n- neither of these paradigms is necessarily wrong or bad. It's all about what you've agreed to. So, yeah, and, and that, that therein lies the problem is that if you're not agreeing to passive uh, consent ahead of time, then you're you're likely to run into trouble. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's take an example of um, a hetero couple, male female. The and they're going to follow standard gender roles. So the man is the one who is um, you know taking action. Right now, um, he might say to himself, "Oh, I should ask before I kiss her." 
right? Sounds sounds fair. Now, if he asks to his, kiss her every time that he wants to kiss her, she may go, this guy's a loser. This guy's a weenie. He, he can't take action, right? And so it's because of this expectation that passive is okay after active, which I think happens a lot. Yeah, so... <laughs> This is a great discussion because this is something that a lot of men struggle with. Because in today's society, men that have done some work, some form of internal work, they're like trying, right? They're, they're trying to have better relationships. They're trying to work on themselves, whether they're at the beginning of their journey or not. They realize to some extent that they need to ask permission. They need to get consent. But they struggle with where is that line, right? That line between I'm asking too much and I'm not asking enough, right? So maybe you could speak to the audience a little bit like how does a guy navigate that? How does he find out where that right place is? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm fully in the active consent camp, right? And so I think that there is, there is wiggle room. There is like okay, I'm going to be a little bit more passive with this person because that's what they require. But um, for me personally, I'm not going to be able to go way over into that passive camp, right? If somebody's like, oh, well, I don't want to talk about anything, like just try stuff. I'm, I'm pretty much just going to bail because that's just not for me, right? I need a little bit of reassurance that what we're going into, you're okay with, especially if what we're doing is dangerous, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to do some of these BDSM activities without like a, yes, I want to do that. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then there's a further conversation about like, in what context to what end, right. You know, what if it goes wrong? What are we going to do? I talk about everything and that can be totally sickening to some people. Some people just get totally turned off if you have to talk about it, you know? And again, those people are valid, but they don't align with me and they just, it wouldn't be an option for me. And so I think that there's some amount of alignment that's necessary. I mean, you can move back and forth, but for me, having a meta conversation, having a conversation ahead of the conversation almost, and to say, Hey, you know, um, I'd love to touch your butt. Do you need me to ask every time? Or, uh, are we okay? Can I feel it out in, you know, in this context, can I touch your butt in public? Like I want to have all of that conversation so that I can have none of that conversation in the moment. Right. Um, but I think that that's a hurdle that not everybody's able to overcome. Right. That's a lot of conversation. Yes. And I think, you know, there are different situations where different levels of this conversation may be appropriate, right? So like when you're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, getting into the BDSM world and doing things that may be dangerous, I am in 100% agreement. Like you got to talk about everything, you know, okay, it, this, how about this? How about this? What happens if this goes wrong? There's all that stuff that you just said. But what if, what if it's not something that's dangerous? What if it's just, you know, two people on a date and it's like, can I kiss you? Can I put my hand on your leg? Can I touch your shoulder? Can I, you know, put my, rub my fingers through your hair? Like at what point does that get annoying, ridiculous? Cause you, you mentioned that earlier in the show that at yeah. some point she's just going to be like, the fuck is wrong with this guy? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's got to figure out, you know, when is it right to ask? And then when is it too much? Right. 
Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we can say that like quote unquote vanilla sex is less dangerous because you can have a baby and that shit is fucking dangerous. <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> you could end up married. Oh my god. It's just a different uh, kind of danger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I think it's it's challenging and I think it really depends on the person, right? Like I think it you can imagine somebody who has a really hard time trusting and they're going to, they're going to want more questions. They're going to want more concerns. Other times it's going to be more, that person's going to feel more secure and the person's going to have a more, uh, more of an ability to say no in the moment. Right. Whereas somebody who maybe isn't as able to say no in the moment, like the situation gets overwhelming and they can't voice words like then you really have to have that conversation ahead of time because in that moment they're just going to freeze and then you, then you've got regret right and i don't think anybody goes into this wanting to have regret yeah no nobody goes into it wanting to have regret and you you are right that some people do freeze in the moment and what's interesting is is you know if you're listening to this and you're thinking about well yeah okay sure if somebody's you know tying me up to a cross and is about to, you know, do whatever to me, like, yeah, maybe I would freeze, but, but that would never happen in a normal scenario, but yet it does. And it does all the time, you know, quote unquote normal, right? I mean, whatever. But the, the idea is that it can happen just on a first date, right? When somebody wants to kiss you or touch your butt or whatever it is. And in that moment, you freeze up, and you don't set the boundaries that you really wanted to set. And then you're like, why did I let him touch me there? Why did I let him do this? Mm-hmm. Or, you know. mm-hmm. um, so it's just important to know that that can happen in a, in a wide range of scenarios. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, crazy or, or dangerous. Like it's just even in simple situations, sometimes people don't feel comfortable or aren't able to voice it. And so having those conversations ahead of time are really important because you want to have those conversations when you can. Right. When 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 the pressure isn't on, when you're not in that moment, when you can actually talk about it rather than in that moment when you freeze up. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I mean, different people have different capacities. And so I don't think it's unethical for somebody to say, well, try it and see what happens. Right. If that's what you agree to, then that's what you agree to. Right. Well, yeah, but the, the whole point is you got to have that conversation first yeah, so that that's you what can I mean. agree to those things. Yeah. Between two people that you say that, I wouldn't say that to, uh, you know, somebody to go and try that with the partner they haven't had that conversation with. But um, but I think that if a partner, if two people are having a conversation and a partner says, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but if you try it out, then I'll tell you how I feel about it in the moment, right? I think that's appropriate, even if it isn't uh, active consent in the same way. Yeah. So, you know, I think back to that question of how does a guy find the line? I think really you got to have the conversations up front, you know, what, what feels good for you? What would you like? Right. And then Mm -hmm. obviously let that person know that whatever you discuss or agree upon in that initial conversation is open to change if it's not working as you go along. Right. Mm-hmm. So in other words, as a guy, you might say, hey, you know, I'd love to have a discussion about, you know, consent. You know, is it okay if I ask you for this or this? And and once, you know, we reach a certain level, is it okay if I don't ask as much? And then, of course, letting them know that, um, hey, if at any point this agreement isn't working for you, you need more 
asking. You need less asking, whatever it is. Just speak up, just voice that so that I know what you need and then I can adjust to that. Yeah. And I think, I think that there's a barrier of the, um, of like self-confidence. I think that sometimes asking can sort of imply a lack of confidence, right? And the way to overcome that is to reframe the conversation as you are taking charge of the consent conversation, right? Yes. Because now you're, you know, your partner wants you to be in charge and now you're doing that. You're having that conversation. And I think a lot of people feel like it's a buzzkill, like it's a boner killer, but this could be a very sexy conversation. Yeah, that is a criticism that we hear a lot. Like, oh, it's 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 not spontaneous. It takes us out of the moment and it's it's a boner killer and it's not fun. But how much of a boner killer and how much is it going to take you out of the situation if in the middle of this amazing moment, your partner freaks the fuck out because you did something that they didn't like? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I think... And then how much worse is that with, with the trauma that and the lack of trust that that will create? Yeah. Well, and I think that's why I want to front load the conversation. I don't want to have any conversation during the experience besides maybe some check-ins, right? But I've asked all the important questions ahead of time so that once we get into it, I can focus on being present and reading body language and, and you know, connecting with my partner, right? Yeah. I, I always find it weird when I hear that, pe- you know, that excuse from people about, well, it's not spontaneous or it takes me out of the moment. Because They'll use it not just for consent issues. They'll use it for a lot of conversations that you should be having in the beginning, you know, when you're first dating somebody. And of course, all along the way. But it could be anything from like, well, what do you want to get out of this relationship, right? Why are you here? What are you looking for, right? And these are all things that people just want to completely ignore and not have those conversations because they're difficult. Maybe they don't want to admit what the actual answers are, right? Mm-hmm. And so they just avoid having those conversations. But the reality is, is <clears throat> let's say I meet somebody new and what I'm really looking for is, you know, a sexual playmate as opposed to a long-term relationship. Let's say I don't voice that and I just kind of, you know, let it play out as it plays out. Then we end up with, oh, there's bonds being formed, there's attachment being formed, and now somebody gets hurt. As opposed to, hey, what if I just took the time to discuss that in the beginning? Like, hey, here's what I'm looking for. Here's what works for me right now in this moment. Are you okay with that? Now, that doesn't guarantee that you're not going to have attachments and someone's going to get hurt, but it's going to significantly reduce that, right? Mm-hmm, and so. Mm-hmm. The consent conversation is similar in a sense that you should be having this conversation right up front in the beginning so that everybody is at least on the same page to start with. And then you can readjust as you go along. Yeah, I'm I'm totally on board with you. And it's tough because I think the expectation of having that conversation is not always there. And, you know, we talked about these you know, BDSM spaces, sex positive spaces, polyamorous spaces where there's the culture of expecting that conversation. But when you're going into a relationship and they don't have that experience, it can be a little jarring to be like, Hey, I brought my 22 page sexual interest survey to date number one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's interesting. 
I'm going to just use uh, an example that has nothing to do with sex or relationships, but it, sure. it, it, it's going to sort of explain what, illustrate what I, what I, the point I want to make, which is that, you know, I used to do a lot, a lot of rock climbing. It was really big in, in the rock climbing world. And when I was climbing a lot, you know, I've climbed all over the world. Um, I was climbing at a really, really high level. And so what happens when you are climbing at that more of a sort of high elite level of climbing, you don't, you completely lose touch with what it's like for the beginners, right? And so mm-hmm, you'll see this mm-hmm. a lot with, with guys that, that put up routes, that, that bolt routes or create new routes, right? They'll give it a rating. And the rating is usually like two or three grades higher than what it actually is because in their mind, it's just so, yeah, it's just easy. It's that, it's that simple thing. And they, they, they have no concept of what it means for somebody new coming up who's just starting and they get on this mm-hmm. thing and they're like, ah! And so <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because this conversation we're having, it's like in my mind, because I spent so many years, you know, around polyamorous and sex positive communities, it's sometimes hard for me to imagine that this would be that difficult for people, that this would blow their mind. Like if somebody showed up with a 22 page sexual interest survey on the first date, I'd be like, oh, this is probably going to go well. <laughs> right? Yeah. We're really going to find what meshes. Yeah, exactly. But, but that, that's, you're right. That is a completely different paradigm that would blow most people's minds. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and it does, it does. I see it a lot. I, cause I do have a 22 page survey that, uh, it is 590 items. That's, so. that's a lot. Do you send that to them ahead of time? It's like, it's like my, uh, my naturopathic doctor is a 30 page, uh, thing you have to fill out before you yeah. see him for the first yeah, time. Yeah, you absolutely. send it to them ahead of time? No, no, that's, I think that's a terrible strategy. Um, <laughs> this is like date three kind of thing. Okay, like if yeah. you're serious, if you really want to get weird, uh-huh. then, you know, let's, let's talk about it. I think, you know, handing that to them on the first date, I would have, uh, I would have a much lower success rate. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny though. You'd be like, listen, I I want you to know this, this relationship is going to be a pain in the ass, just like this paperwork. So, (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) Not, not starting out uh, on the best foot there with that one. Oh my God. 22 pages. That, that reminds me actually of another funny story uh, with uh, Selene and I. So when we first agreed to go out on a date and we hadn't been on a, an actual date yet, um, like, I don't know, four days or something before we're supposed to go on the date, she sends me a message and she says, um, we need to talk, right? And you know, you know that classic, like the woman comes to you and says, we need to talk. And I read the message and I went, we need to talk. We haven't even had a date yet. What do you mean we need already? We, we're already in that we need to talk. We're already in the like doghouse. We, we haven't yeah. even had a date yet, right? And of course, it turned out to be something totally fun that, you know, she just didn't want to write in a text message, right? Like, yeah, yeah. There's the the language barrier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it was just, it was just funny, like that whole thought, because you're saying like if you gave them that 22 page survey on the first date, they'd be like, what? Like, yeah, what is yeah. going on? Yeah. No, nobody wants to hear the, we need to talk or the, you know, fill out my 22 page thing before the first date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to find out how awesome the person is first. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, it's worth the work. There you go. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, since we're talking about sort of what consent is and on all the different paradigms and all of that. One of the things that you put in the note was um, Planned Parenthood's uh, 
I guess they call it Fry's acronym for consent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Step through that because I, I think it's it's actually really good and people should know it. Yeah, absolutely. And I do believe that they came up with it. Planned Parenthood came up with it, but um, but they don't officially take credit. So I wonder. But um, okay. it's Fry's F R I E S, and F stands for freely given. R stands for reversible. I stands for informed. E stands for enthusiastic and S stands for specific. So I think that is a, does a really good job of capturing the current sex positive culture of consent. Yeah. So freely given, right? <clears throat> so you shouldn't be coerced in any way into giving mm-hmm. your consent. It should be something that you give freely. Reversible, which is what we've talked about several times already about sort of renegotiating as things go on. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I, you can take it away, right? right. Up. I, I said I was okay with it, but now that we're trying it, I don't like it. I'm done. And if it wasn't reversible, your partner might say, well, too bad you already said yes. And that's that's not cool. No, no, that's really not cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is really not cool. And And that's the idea of, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know when you start something, right? Which means yeah. that you might agree to something because you think in your mind that that will be just fine. And then later on, you realize, ooh, that just doesn't work for me. So you have to be able to reverse it or renegotiate it or whatever term you want to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, informed, that's an important one. Uh, <laughs> not, to, not to get too uh, far down the government rabbit hole, but this is one government doesn't understand at all. <laughs> In other words, they don't ever actually inform us properly. And they expect us to make decisions without having the actual information at hand to make a responsible decision. So that's Mm -hmm. not something that you want to do. So by informed, right, what we're talking about is you have all of the information you need to make a good decision. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, that's the one I get pushed back on when it comes to the mind fucking uh, education. So there is this um, people like a surprise often. And so how do you maintain a surprise when you're asking, you know, can I do A, B, C, D, and E, right? You can ask for A through Z and only plan on LMNOP, right? And then it becomes a surprise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's other ways to do that while still getting the consent part in. Mm -hmm. Yep. Enthusiastic, yeah. Well, you should you should be, yeah, for lack of uh, another term, but enthusiastic about it. You should be happy to give your consent, your freely given, reversible, and informed consent. And then, of course, the last one is specific. This one is hugely important. If you're not being specific, you know, people can go. Well, I thought that's what you meant, or I thought you agreed to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that can be, that can look like, you know, do you want to have sex? And then what exactly sex is or what activities are on the table are not discussed, right? If that was absent. And I should say too, that there has been a little bit of pushback around enthusiastic specifically because some people are, you know, uh, through life experiences or medications or whatever kind of conditions, just incapable of enthusiasm, right? And so they proposed alternative is embodied. And so the question is like, are you ambivalent? Is part of you saying yes and part of you saying no? Or is your whole body saying yes? Yeah, right? and now that's the key right there. And that's mm-hmm. why I, in, my, in my mind, I was searching for a, a, an, a, another word than enthusiastic, but I just, I couldn't come up with one quick enough. So I just kind of moved on from it. 
Yeah, it doesn't mean that you have to be jumping for joy, but it is what you just said. You have to be a full yes. Like your whole body has to be in agreement with what you're actually saying and agreeing to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you can be ambivalent. It just kind of means you're not done with the conversation. Well, yeah, you can be ambivalent, but you shouldn't move forward from a place of ambivalence, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it and you take more time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you can even go in to say, look, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to like that. I'm, you know, I'm willing to try it. Let's do it. I do want to try it, but you know, I really don't know if I'm going to like it. And as long as you've got reversible consent, you know, then it's kind of, it's kind of okay. Well, yeah. So I would say you are enthusiastic about trying it, right? You're sure. Like, there yeah, you go. Yeah. I'm, I'm enthusiastic about trying this. I'm just not guaranteeing that I will like it or want to continue doing it. Yeah, exactly. All right. We are a little over halfway through the show. I want to take a quick break for our second sponsor. And then I want to get into, you know, why is consent important? We've touched on it, but I wanted to like really clearly lay it out why this is super important. We want to talk about what is an empowering yes and an empowering no. Uh, maybe get a little bit more clarity on the difference between implied and explicit consent, although we've covered that a bit. Yes, we want to talk about things like blanket yeses, um, uh, consensual non-consent. That, that's another interesting one and a few other things. So like I said, we got a lot to cover in this show. So we're trying to get through it as best we can. All right. Second sponsor. Hey guys, do you know what makes a man great? You know the kind of masculine man that women are irresistibly attracted to and want. Is it money, job title, his physical body? Is it being great in bed, a big penis, great pickup lines? What if you don't have those or only have some of them? What if you've had a string of failed relationships, are embarrassed by your bedroom skills, doubt whether you can rise to the occasion, worry about lasting long enough, or are always stuck in the friend zone? Then I can help you if you're ready to make big changes and finally become the man you have always wanted to be. Then and this is the program for you. This is my men's coaching program. And you can find it at selenremy.com forward slash go forward slash warrior. Link is in the description. That's selenremy.com forward slash go forward slash warrior. We discuss all kinds of things from sexual skills and how to be better in bed right up to exactly what we're talking about today, which is consent type stuff. Believe me, men. The, the beginning of that ad says, you know, what makes a man great? One of the things that makes a man great is knowing what he wants, having respect for women, asking for it, communicating it clearly, all of these, what we sometimes call soft skills. These things women absolutely love and mm-hmm. they will respect you and they will crave you when you show up as that kind of man. Absolutely. I get the most common question I get is how can I be sexier? How can I, how, you know, how can I be more attractive consent? It's, and it's two things. It's self-knowledge and communication. Yep. 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 Great stuff. <clears throat> All right. So let's get back into the consent conversation and let's just cover a few of the points that we uh, put down here for why consent is important. So you want to start with that one? What, What's number one on that list? Not that they're necessarily in any order, but. Yeah, well, we don't want to force anything on one another, right? Yeah, very, very yeah. important. So number one reason why consent is important, because we don't want to force anything on anybody. We want all of the interactions we have to be consensual. And that's how we avoid misunderstandings. That's how we avoid creating trauma. That's how we avoid, you know, 
breaking actual legal laws and things like that, right? Like we, we want to make sure everybody is, is in full consent to everything that we do. Uh, next on the list is we don't want to abuse any involuntary power imbalance. Hmm, that's an interesting one. Now, there's a very obvious physical power imbalance between men and women, right? So that's one. Typically. Typically, not always, but typically. But that's also not the only potential power imbalance. There are others, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if one partner is exceptionally more attractive than the other or has more resources than the other or more experience than the other, um, then those all can have a power influence on the relationship. And I think it's unreasonable to expect somebody to have a total power neutrality relationship like that just almost never happens. Right. Um so there's going to be some power imbalance. And so how do you be mindful of that and make sure that you're not taking advantage? Yeah. So some power imbalance, which uh, sometimes we could maybe even refer to as polarity in a relationship is okay. But yeah, anything that is in what we would say an involuntary or too great of an imbalance can potentially be a problem. So hence consent comes in. If we have consent, it mitigates a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned physicality, you know, if one person's five feet and the other person's four feet, you know, then maybe the six foot person should re, uh, you know, reassure the other person say, Hey, look, there's going to be no, you're not in any physical danger, despite how easy it might be for me. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Here, we'll negotiate. You hold this knife. So it's <laughs> evened out. <laughs> yeah, well, so <laughs> there's another discussion that we will not go into in this show. But, <laughs> but there is a reason why we have certain uh, rights in this country and uh, uh Fixing power imbalances is one of those reasons. Mm. That's all I'll say about it for this show. <laughs> okay, uh, next on the list, we want everyone to be a full yes to all the activities. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't want ambivalence. We don't want, you know, because that means they might, they might end up regretting something. So you want everyone to be fully into it. And also, if this happens a lot of this like, oh, I did it to you. Now you have to do it to me. So anytime you say have to, you're pressuring somebody and you're not getting voluntary consent. You're not getting freely given consent. You're getting coerced consent. Yeah, absolutely. This is, you know, this is something, unfortunately, I see in a lot of just regular, plain, heterosexual relationships with men and women where, you know, the guy's like, well, I did this to you. Now you got to do this to me. Now you got to finish me or whatever it mm -hmm, is. Mm -hmm. Boy, we try everything we can to uh, un unteach that to unlearn that from people because no there's never any i did this so you have to do that 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 doesn't actually exist uh next neither you or your partner will have regrets so that's what you just said you don't want people well, there's nothing worse than having an amazing you know sexual encounter and then the next day or a week later or a month later having the person say they regretted it like you never yeah. want people to walk away feeling that from any encounter that you've had with them. Yeah. And I think you can't eliminate that as a possibility. We don't, we can't tell the future, but, you know, establishing 
fully informed consent and all of that is going to minimize it. Yeah. And you're right. You, you absolutely can't. I mean, I can remember years and years ago, uh, I was at a sex party, uh, interacting with two women and, and one of them literally grabbed my hand and shoved it down her pants and like wanted me to touch her. And I was like, well, okay. I mean, we didn't actually verbalize, you know, is this okay? But her grabbing my hand and shoving it down, there's a pretty good sign that that's what, that she's okay with that. But, you know, a week later, she calls me up on the phone and it's like, you know, I, I wasn't really okay with that, and, which at the time, and this is many years ago, so I didn't have the same framework, you know, and knowledge and experience that I have now, but I was kind of blown away by it because I'm like, but I, but you're you, like, you're the one that grabbed, like, you're right, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So you're right. We can't actually... Uh, make sure that that's not going to happen at all. But what we're trying to do is absolutely minimize that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this next point is really big. Yeah, go for it. Sex without consent is illegal. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. I believe they have a term for that. Mm -hmm. It's called rape. (laughs) (laughs) He said it, folks. The R word. The R word. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, um, and I've heard jail sucks. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, you know, aside from that, again, it's like, this is something, uh, there was somebody in the sex positive poly community here in Southern California um, who said something one time at the intro to a party that I I really liked. And the point he was trying to make was this, was that, you know, If your partner, let's say you're there with a partner, or let's say you're there and your partner is at home, and you want to do something, but you're not sure if it's okay. Like, let's say there's somebody that showed up at that party. You went to the party and your partner said, yeah, it's fine. Go to that party. Have all the fun you want, you know, but I can't go this time because of whatever. I got to watch the kids, whatever. And then you get there and somebody shows up at the party that you really want to have sex with, but you didn't actually negotiate with them that that was okay. So the point he was trying to make is, hey, there'll always be another party. There'll always be another opportunity. Don't feel like, oh, uh, this has to happen right now or it's never going to happen or I'm going to miss the opportunity or this or that, right? So when we're talking about sex without uh, consent is illegal, keep in mind that there'll always be another, like there's never a need to force anything, Mm -hmm. right? You're always better off just erring on the side of caution and saying, you know what, we're not, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to coerce. I'm not going to do this because one, it's wrong. Two, it could hurt somebody. Three, it's illegal, whatever. But there'll always be another opportunity for it to happen in the right way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as you don't spoil the pot, so to speak. Right, which which you could do by trying to force it and then having it not actually happen anyway, mm-hmm, and now you've mm-hmm. just ruined any chances that you potentially have. Yeah. All right, last one on the list. The best sex is fully consensual sex. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is always an interesting one to me, too, because I always think to myself, like, why would you want to have sex with somebody that doesn't want to have sex with you or that isn't into having sex with you. Like it just doesn't, it's not even fun to me at that point. Well, and, and I think maybe even if it's like a question, like, are you really going to be able to get into it if you're not sure if your partner is into it? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this is something I've talked about this on the show and Selena's talked about it on the show as well about, you know, like when you're younger, 
especially as a guy, you know, you're younger, you've got massive testosterone raging through your body, you're horny, you want to have sex all the time. And, you know, the act of having sex is a little bit more important to you maybe uh, than the actual connection with the individual itself. And so when you're younger, you're, you're more willing to have that kind of sex that's like, super unattached or doesn't doesn't share the love or the consent or that kind of stuff but as you get older as a guy you have less and less desire for at least most men do that's not true for some that that haven't really matured and, and grown up but as we get older the connection with the person becomes more important than the actual sexual act itself at least it has for me and I know it has for a lot of other uh, men as they age as well so the idea of having somebody who's not a full yes suddenly becomes like really not very interesting. It's not even something you really even want to do. Yeah, I'm all over this next one here. All right, go for it. Do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Empowering a yes and empowering a no. So I uh, previously in my last life was a salesperson and they always want to tell you, empower the yes, empower the yes. You want to have a good time, don't you? You want to have a great podcast episode today, Kevin, don't you? <laughs> now, and I've got you to say yes, right? So I'm almost like priming the pump of yes. Now, in sales, they never say anything about priming the pump for no, but you really ought to, right? So we don't want to have a bad time today, right? No, of course not. We don't want to offend anybody. No, we don't want to offend anybody, right? So like, I'm asking the simple question that sort of helps you say no. And it doesn't even have to be so tricky, right? I can say, Kevin, I really want you to feel empowered to say no today. I'm going to ask you a silly question and you're going to tell me no. You can practice telling me no. Can I feed you gummy worms? No. No. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Great. That's not even what I was interested in. And now we can have our conversation. And so, you know, I think that's really important is to make sure that that person can say no. And sometimes they can't. If they can't say no, then you're going to have to find other ways to communicate, right? You're going to have to find say, okay, well, if I don't get a solid yes from you, I'm assuming it's a no. Yeah, right. And so that's exactly what's written in the notes here, right? Yes means yes. No means no. And maybe means no. So if you don't yeah. get that hard yes, you just have to assume it's a no. Yeah, well, because a lot of people who have struggle with no's, uh, they could say maybe. And for for those people, no mean uh, maybe means no. And if some people feel differently, then they can tell you otherwise. I, I think probably everybody has had some experience with that where they've been, not necessarily even in a sexual context, but where they've been asked like, do you want to go here or do this? Or like, do you want to come out to this thing? And you're like, ah, maybe. But what, what are you really feeling inside, right? You're really feeling mm. a no, I don't really want to go to that thing, but I don't know, I don't want to disappoint them, whatever it is. So then you give them this wishy-washy maybe answer, right? Mm -hmm. So I think everybody can kind of relate to how that feels when you say maybe when what you really mean is no. Now, mm -hmm. for the person asking, they can't feel what you feel inside when they hear your maybe, right? Maybe if they're really intuitive and they're tuned, they might be able to, to feel it. But they don't feel what you're feeling inside when you go, ah, maybe, right? So for them, they have to assume that that maybe is, is a no, All right. Um, 
I think since we're getting kind of long in the show, I think we've already done a pretty good job of covering the difference between implied consent and explicit consent. So I'm going to skip that that part of of uh, the notes here, and let's talk about two other things that are um, part of the consent conversation that maybe don't get talked about that much uh, that I think people should be aware of. So the first one is blanket yeses. Now the reason why I want to bring this one up is because you will often see things happen that appear that the people are not getting consent when in reality they've already negotiated it and they've already got these what we call blanket yeses. So you'll see this a lot at sex parties where somebody will go, well, I watched those people and they didn't do the thing that you said we're supposed to do, right? Or, or they're over there, they didn't do it, right? Well, maybe because they've already talked about it and they have what we would call a blanket yes. So maybe you could explain to people what a blanket yes is. Yeah, and I th- I think we all do it, right? Because again, you know, you're not necessarily expected to ask if you can kiss somebody forever, right? So now you've got a consent, a blanket yes for for that. Um, but it's less explicit. I think oftentimes we will have these conversations of, you know, again, can I touch your butt? Great. Can I always touch your butt? Can I touch your butt uh, in private only? Can I, you know... Can I so so you can get consent to do something under specific circumstances, under all circumstances, whatever, as long as that's what you all have agreed to, then you know that's that's blanket consent, right? And so, how that'll often go is like, yeah, you'll ask to say, Hey, can I kiss you? just as a simple example, and somebody and then you know, the person will say, Yes, and for the future, you don't have to ask me again if you want to kiss me, you can kiss me. Right now, that may be negotiated between two people who aren't actually partners. And now you see them in a public context at a play party or just even a regular party. And he walks up and kisses her without asking or doing anything. And you're going, oh, I see how it is around here. It must be okay to just walk up and kiss a woman that you think is a beautiful woman, right? Like, no, you have to understand that there may be what we're calling a blanket. Yes, which is a pre-negotiated hey, I've already given you permission for this, and that permission stands until or unless I say otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and in another example is I had a partner who did not want to hear, let's have sex. Just could not, just it was a total turnoff to have the, to start the conversation like that, right? And so they were like, oh, just initiate, just start, and I'll tell you if I'm not in the mood, Right. And so that was that was a blanket consent, and it was in a relatively vanilla relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, the the important part is that you communicated that, you discussed that, and you understood what those boundaries are. But yeah, now if somebody were viewing that from the outside, they might get the wrong the wrong idea. And so that's why it's kind of important to understand the blanket yes thing is one, uh, it's a tool that you could potentially use. So you, you want to know it, but two, you want to understand that what you might be observing from other people in environments might not be a lack of consent, but might already be a blanket. Yes. Or some pre-negotiated consent. Um, why don't you talk about, uh, consensual non-consent? I love it. Of all the topics we have left, you pick the edgiest one. I know. Yes. And we have very no, little time to cover it. But no, I, I just... get it. Well, and I want to, the first thing I want to do is normalize consensual non-consent, rape fantasy, force fantasy, whatever you want to call it, is the most common fantasy across cultures. 
right? So every culture surveyed on on what the common fantasy is, that was number one. Number two was uh, gang rape. So kind of number one and number two, right? So head and shoulders above the rest. It is a really common fantasy. And having that fantasy doesn't mean that you want to be sexually assaulted. It doesn't mean that you want to sexually assault somebody. It's that that fantasy is arousing, right? Mm -hmm. So got that out of the way. Um, So consensual non-consent is when we play with the the idea of not consenting, right? So if my partner wants to say, no, stop, don't, but they really mean, yes, that's great, keep going, then that's consensual non-consent, right? And we talk about safe words a lot, and safe words are for consensual non-consent because in a situation where no does not mean no, right, you can have a conversation ahead of time and say, look, I want to just say no the whole time right? That's consensual non-consent. Even if your partner's like, no, 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 you know, but, but they're actually having a great time and they're into it and they want to keep having fun. That's consensual non-consent. You can also have one where the person is like pushing, right? Sort of like pushing you back, pushing you away. And then that sort of plays into that role play of this is unwanted. And I think one of the things that makes it so attractive uh, number one, it plays with a, a very real fear that I think we all have of, of, you know, losing our agency and losing control of our bodies. But it also plays with this concept of, uh, like, freedom to have that desire, right? Freedom to have a fantasy. Like, let's say, you know, I want my feet licked, right? But I'm ashamed of it. And I, I can't, I have a hard time asking for it, or I have a hard time sort of lining my sense of self up with that activity, right? But if I say, okay, now I want you to hold me down and pre- pretend it's non-consensual and force, you know, tie me up and, and then lick my feet. Like I'm like, I don't, I'm not consenting to it. Now it, it sort of frees me from that narrative that might play in my head that, that prevents me from really enjoying the experience. Yeah. And so, I think the key word in consensual non-consent is the very first one, which is consensual. So I, I love the way that you describe that. I think you did a great job of it really explaining what it is and the different ways that it can show up. Um, so I, I don't need to really say any more about it than that. I really just wanted that to be introduced to the audience in case they haven't heard of it before so that they're aware that such a thing exists. And again, if you are watching something right externally and you see that happening it's easy to misinterpret what you're actually seeing and so it's important to understand that such a thing like this actually does exist okay there's still so much more but we really are out of time the last thing i want to cover is I was going to say, you're just going to have to have me on again. That's all. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) It's been a great conversation. So yeah, I would, I'd be happy to do that. Um, I want to just leave uh, the listeners with uh, a bit of a framework for consent. And it's the the very last thing on, on the notes here, which starts with have a conversation before the activity starts where you can map out what your yeses, nos, and boundaries are, right? So everything on this list is we've talked about already, but, but we've talked about in separate little pieces. And so now I want to bring it all together and kind of lay it out real clearly. Like here's your sort of step-by-step. So the second one, uh, create a contract or agreement, 
And it is a good idea, especially if you're dealing with some very nuanced uh, boundaries, to write it down. Write it down in black and white where both people can read it. And then make sure that you both understand the meaning of the words that you used when you, when you wrote that down. Uh, next on the list is have a safe word, something that you briefly mentioned, but we didn't really explain to people. Uh, maybe you could talk real quick about safe word. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that it, it, you know, we just talked about how defining language is important, right? So uh, a safe word is something that means to stop the activity entirely, right? So if I say pineapple, then no matter what we're doing, we stop, right? No matter how far, how deep we've gotten into it, we stop. And many people use a second safe word that means like ease up or switch spots, or give me a second, right? And so the the most common is the traffic light system. So green means go, red means stop, and yellow means proceed with caution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when it comes to safe words, it's a good idea to have an unusual word that wouldn't normally come up in the context of what you're doing so that it really stands out. When you hear it, you know exactly <laughs> what it means. <laughs> my, my safe words are more and keep going. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you've negotiated They're that. <laughs> They're not. It's a joke. <laughs> all right. Next is uh, all partners agreed to stop immediately for whatever reason, no matter how deep you are in, if any partner calls for it. That's really, really important. Yeah. And if no means no in your setting and there's no ambiguous stuff, you don't need a safe word. You can just say, stop, I'm done. Yeah. But it, but it may be it may be helpful because things are so crazy that, you know, things can get crazy. And then to hear red okay, we know that means stop. There's no confusion. Mm -hmm. So you may want one anyway. Yep. And then lastly on the list, when in doubt, ask. Communicate. Super important. If you are unsure about what something means or whether you should continue or whether you should stop, you need to just ask. All right. So any last uh, things you want to say, Ezra, before we wrap up here? Yeah, I want to tell people to check out the Ask Ezra Intimacy Coaching Podcast. You know, we I think we're around 40, 41 episodes deep. So um, check that out. Um, also, uh, Sanctuary Studios is reopened in their new location in Los Angeles. So if you're a local listener and you're interested in a dungeon experience, check out SanctuaryLAX.com. And um yeah, I'm also doing a research project. I know I didn't talk about it hardly at all, but um, it's called Radical Sexual Acceptance. It's a new coaching intervention. And if you're interested, you can uh, you can volunteer. And for the mere price of doing a couple surveys, you can um, you can get four hours of free coaching. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Ezra, and for really going into that topic in a in a really good way. I think we went just deep enough to give people a good framework and just know that this conversation can go a lot deeper. And if you're interested in that, working with somebody like Ezra or even myself is a great way to go deeper into that conversation. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. All right. All right, everybody. That is all the time we have for this episode and I will see you next week.
We hope you like this episode of the Love Lab podcast. If you enjoy this show, subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. And for more free, exclusive content, join us in the Passion Vault at CelineRemy.com forward slash vault. That's C-E-L-I-N-E-R-E-M-Y dot com forward slash vault. Thanks for listening. And remember, you're amazing.